Anyway, so I don't know if you know, but there's an interesting custom today in the Jewish community to read something called Parshat Haman. Now I'm going to get your attention because it's about, a, it's a special type of read that we do that's for making money. It's a, it's a skula, it's a, uh, how do you say skula in English? Uh, an omen. It's an omen for making money, uh, for panasah, specifically on this day to read a certain portion of the Torah. It's very short, don't worry. Even if you're not so good at the Hebrew, or at least maybe even in the English. People would read it specifically in this week, because it fits into this week of the Torah portion and everything. And it's a big prayer for money. And it's called Parshat Haman. Has anyone heard of this? Parshat Haman, not Haman, the bad guy. Not him. Parshat Haman is the section of the Torah about the mana. Does anyone know what the mana is? Remember that story? Strange story. You want to know what it is? You heard about the mana? The man? Yeah. You remember that? So when, when the Jews were in the desert, so you can't survive living in a desert for 40 years. It's pretty hot out there. And uh, it's tough to survive. So according to Jewish teaching, we were given the man, the mana. And this was a food type of cracker that would come down in the morning and they would wake up. See, I knew someone's going to fall asleep when I talk about the manna. Never mind. No, it's okay. But when you, wake up in the mor- when you wake up in the morning, you'll find the manna right by your doorstep. And everybody, well, it depends how righteous you were. Some people had it further. Whatever. It's another whole thing. Don't want to freak you out right now. But there was a manna that would fall down whilst they were in the desert. And this is how they ate. For 40 years, they didn't worry about how they made food. By the way, if you question the idea of manna, don't. Because do you know who eats the manna today? Animals. Do they work for their food? Not really. They wake up, they open their mouth, they chew the grass. If they don't have it, they die. And if they, if they do, they survive. It's true. They have, some of the animals have to fight for their food. There are some animals that have to fight for their food. But it's different than working for your food. It's a different mindset. When it, when it comes to human beings, we're unique in terms of we have to actually work on the field for our food to be available to us. There are animals that have the mana, which is the ones that domesticate, mainly the domesticated animals, that have the grass whenever they need it. Do they need to think about their food? Either it's there or it's not. Either they're going to eat or they're not. Wild animals. Either they have their food or they don't. But there's no way out. That's it. There's, by us, it's you have to work, earn the money, and then use that money to buy something which will then be able to give you food. Or if you lived with a field, you have to clean up the field and constantly make sure that the crops grow in the right way. And then... It says, you, have to, you can eat bread, but you have to sweat with your palms. It's work. You have to clean it. You have to thresh it. You have to sow. The, there's a lot of work. And then once you have the wheat, you have to make bread. Okay, bread is not good for uh, carbs. Okay, whatever. You, know, the, you get my message. So when it comes to, when it comes to um, the Jewish people, when we were in the desert, we had something called uh, the manna. And it's very interesting. There's a mitzvah to read that story. And that story is a prayer for getting money and being successful with your money. Why? Let me tell you why. This is a, a teaching that was given over by Rabbi Mordechai Eliyahu, one of my rabbis that I studied by when I was living in Israel. He says like this, a fascinating idea. He says, where did the bread come from? The sky. And how did it, how was it given to you? By the dew, by the water that was on the ground in the morning. There was dew, even in the desert, there's a certain element of dew and it would cause water around it and then it would be ready for you to eat. That's how it would work. 
So it was the opposite way round of how bread works for us. For us, food is from earth. We work to make the food. And the water comes from above. It comes from the sky, right? Okay, you can argue with me on that one too. But at the end of the day, right, water eventually gets into the clouds and the clouds give us water, right? So it comes down from the sky. And there are times where places go through drought. There's some times when places don't go through drought. Water and having enough water is totally and absolutely mirac- miraculous. There's sometimes when a country can have no water and sometimes it can. It's very interesting. It's not as much in our hands. It's not in our control. The amount of water we have is not as much as in our control as it is with food. Food is something that is really in our control. The weather is not. We can predict the weather, but it's not fully in our control. But it depends on, on water too. Yeah? It does, yes. Yeah. Food does depend on water. So that's what I'm saying. The way it works for us to eat is the food comes from the ground and it depends on the water which comes from above. The way the manna happened was the opposite. The water to keep the manna was on the ground. It was the dew, right? That would happen at the mornings. Even though that also comes from the water eventually, you know, comes. But in the desert, the water isn't coming from the sky. So the water was on the ground to look after it. But what came down from above was the food. And when you specifically, without getting too much into the Kabbalah of this and the story of it, but listen to the idea. When you specifically come to the recognition, why do we read that and why is that the omen to making money and being successful? Because when you specifically realize that the bread that I have on my table is just the same as the manna that comes from the sky, there's no difference. There, the bread came down from the sky and the water was up to us, it was from the ground. Here, today, when we eat, where's the bread from? The bread is from our work. And the water is not to do with us. That's a work of God, much more. Okay, it's much more of a work of God. And what do we see? When I submit, I recognize that the food that I have is not in my control fully. When I recognize that really it looks like it's all in my hands. It looks like I work, I spend hours working. But if you think deeply about it and submit and realize that everything I have is not really in my hands... That is the greatest blessing for making money in Jewish teaching. That's why we read the manna. It's a very interesting teaching and a very important teaching. I felt like I needed to tell you that because uh, it's today that they actually have this custom to read the manna. And it's an important idea to know that when we submit and say, the food that I have with me is not mine and it's all a miracle. Oh, I worked for it. Yeah, it's true. But really, it's, it's all a miracle too. That's when Parnassah starts coming in. Think about it. If you say to yourself, stop saying, I need to make more, I need to make more, I need to make more. You can be ambitious. But start saying, oh my gosh, I have, literally, oh my God, I have bread on my table. It's not normal. Do you know how many people don't? And I'm so fortunate that I do. I have a job. It's not normal. Do you know how many people don't have a job? When I change my mindset, as opposed to, comp- to saying, oh, another day of work, another day of work. But flip my mindset and say, I am so lucky to have food. I'll give you an example. Okay? This, is, this is something which is very interesting. Just today, someone sent me uh, uh, an article of something that happened today. There was a, in, in Philadelphia, there was a helicopter. Did you hear about this? with a, a, a medical helicopter and there was a kid in there that was uh, n- needed um, some medical attention. Now, I'm sh- I don't know if it was life-threatening, but the kid was sick and the parents were there and the pilot and another doctor or someone was on the flight and the flight crashed. The helicopter crashed. This happened just today. And everyone came out fine. Miracle. They were talking about it. Massive miracle. It just happened today. Someone sent me the story. I was like, wow, this is so interesting. Happened today in Philadelphia. A helicopter crashed. And this kid that was sick got out. And the parents got out. I want to ask you a question. What do you think the mindset of their parents is 
right now. Now, we can't understand pain and suffering and all that, but those parents that came out of that helicopter, do you think they had a shift in their mindset? Till now, my worry was, my kid is sick. Now, it's a shift. I survived a miracle. I'm alive. It's amazing. Do you know what happens? When someone goes through that experience, they start getting so much happier. It's a shift. Till now, I was thinking, I'm, my, all my problems are such big problems. Until suddenly, something happens that could have been a much worse problem. And then I got saved from it. And then I realized, wait a second. All those problems I had in the past, were, I couldn't, how could I have even complained in the past? It just made me realize what a shift in mindset that can do to someone. They say a person's very happy. One of the... One of the ways that someone gets very happy, this is very interesting, is when they have a near-death experience. When someone thinks that they might not survive, and then they survive, oh, that gives the human being a tremendous joy. I'm not saying that you should jump off the cliff and hope to survive and then get joy. But I'm just saying, when somebody goes through an experience of thinking that my life could have been worse. And then I realized, oh, at least I'm alive. That is such a gift. You start getting happy with the fact that you're just alive. And that is enough to make you happy because you start realizing, you shift your mindset. You start realizing what I have is awesome. My life is actually pretty awesome. So um, anyway, so that's why I was thinking about the mana today. Because the mana represents a shift in mindset as opposed to being in the mindset where I go to work every day and I say to myself, oh, another day, another day, another day, which can easily happen to everyone. We're human. Shift the mindset and say, this is a gift that I have. I'm living a gift every day that I have a job. I'm living a gift that I can work. I'm living a gift that I can breathe. And this is the greatest gift of my life. Shift the mindset, even if you don't believe in it, by the way, even if you say, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, say, yeah, I'm depressed, but I'm lucky to have a job. I'm lucky. Say it. Even if you think you're depressed, say it. And that will totally change your way of thinking of yourself. Uh, and that's the way to panasan. That's the way to pray for money. That's what our rabbis are saying. Read the story of the manna. Because when you shift your mindset and you say, oh, the bread I have is a gift. It's all... It seems like it's coming from earth, but really it's all from heaven. It's all rain at the end of the day. It's all a gift. It's all a miracle. When you shift your mindset, you start coming happy. And sometimes, unfortunately, it takes a crash, God forbid, for people to come to that recognition or something that's almost a near-death experience to come to that recognition. Thank God I'm alive. All my other problems were ridiculous. How did I ever complain till now? But don't wait for that moment. We don't have to. God forbid on that one. Anyway, so I wanted to ask you a question. And this is based on the study that we're doing on Pekeavot, on the study of Pekeavot, the weekly study that we've been doing, the series that we're studying together, Ethics of Our Fathers. So the question is like this. What is the key to getting into most mischief and trouble you wouldn't want to know that right but what is the the ingredient and i'd love to get this many ideas but i want to touch on one that really can answer a lot of problems what is the ingredient that get kids into trouble sugar fun sugar okay fun boredom. Boredom. curiosity curiosity boredom, boredom. I know you said that. What, what was your What was your name again? Oh, Michal. Rachel. Boredom. Someone else said boredom too. Who else said boredom? No, we said freedom. Freedom. Okay, too much freedom is right. If you define freedom as not having to work and not having to do anything, if you define freedom as that, then he's right. That's boredom. Right, where, what, where is that unhappiness coming from? 
That's just a word. What does, why are you unhappy? I am unhappy. There's a, there could be many reasons why somebody's unhappy. Right. When someone's unhappy, they get into mischief. But the question is why, what's causing them? What's the root? What's the motivation to the unhappiness? What's making them unhappy? People aren't just unhappy. You get some, look, some people might be genetically inclined to be unhappy. That I granted. But as long as in Jewish teaching, as long as you have a conscious ability to decide and control and think, and be aware of your unhappiness, you can also make yourself happier. So everyone's genetically different, that's true. But as long as you're conscious of your problem, you can control it. For instance, um, okay, I'm not going to say that. I was thinking about an example of someone that was doing something. And then, whatever. So, um, so you get what I'm saying, right? Boredom. Boredom means that I'm not, I've got nothing to do. But then it's interesting because we, we seek a freedom with boredom. We seek to be free of busyness. In some ways, we, we try to show people that we're, we're busy. You know, like when someone texts you and you, oh, sorry, I didn't respond. I was so busy uh, for two weeks. Right? But... <laughs> We, I, know, I know that you got that message exactly when WhatsApp tells me when you got that message. Right? So, by the way, you can disable that. You know that, right? Okay. Yeah. I hope you all do the same. But you can't see other people's status. It's, it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword. Oh, that, oh, really? Yeah, you can't see other people's status, only yours. If you, if you oh, oh, if you switch it? Okay. Yeah. I'd rather that way than the other way. I agree. I, that's what I do. <laughs> because I'm not always available. Hello? If you want, knock on my door. Maybe I'll be... But, yeah. No, but whatever. It's a discussion. It is a discussion. There are a lot of groups and things out there. It's, it's, it's overwhelming. I'm thinking of going back to the flip phone. I've been thinking of it for quite a while now. It's never happened yet. Soon, soon. It's going to happen at some point. Anyone here up for, down or up for a flip phone? Just for a while, like two weeks, three weeks? Yeah, they call it the kosher phone. Free from the world. Uh, I'm, up for, I'm down for it, maybe, maybe one time. But I don't know if I'm strong enough. Anywho, so here's another question. Random question, but I heard this from a rabbi and it, it blew my mind. Here's another question. Are you ready? Boredom brings us to the biggest trouble out there. When I'm bored... I'm in trouble. Oh, I'm going to get myself into trouble. Another question. Which, this is so random. Which part is the most difficult to clean? Or what is the most difficult to clean? You've got soap over there and you've got the dishes. And you, which, which one is the most difficult to clean? You've got the cup. I saw this from a rabbi. It's such a fascinating idea. If you have a little baby bottle, maybe that's hard because you've got to get inside with the soap and sponge and get in there and get, this, get the dirt out, right? That's kind of hard. Or maybe it's the big pot that you've got to get your whole arm in and put soap in and get to the bottom of it. Or the cholent part, right? Maybe it's the cholent part. After a whole Shabbat where you cooked your cholent and it's like dry and it's hard to clean. You know what I'm talking about? Anyone here doesn't know what cholent is? Oh, that's pretty good. We used to... We used to have. Come in. Here in LA, people know what it is, but when we used to live in Oregon, people didn't know. And we used to take it out on Shabbat and they're like, oh, what's that? I say, trust me, trust me. It looks a lot better. It tastes a lot better than it looks. And then eventually my daughter used to say, Daddy, you say the same thing every week. Anyway, <laughs> tastes a lot better than it looks. It does. It does isn't that true? Cholin tastes a lot better than it looks. Dang. Okay. So, what's harder to clean? Is it harder to clean the coffee cup? Is it harder to clean a bottle? Is it harder to clean a pot? 
Is it harder to clean a chal and part the lid? What's hardest to clean? <laughs> I'll tell you the answer. The first plate. Because it takes effort to get up, get to the plate, and do it. Uh, once you've done one, you can do the whole lot. Uh, you, you've got the music playing, you're going full force, right? I don't mind, the whole bottle of soap can come out. I don't mind, I'll be there for two hours. But it's the first one that's the hardest, agree? It's to get to do it, that's what's hard. Once you're doing it, ah, I'm in the flow anyway. But it's getting up there and doing it, the first thing that's hard. That is the, the reason, the root cause of boredom. The root cause of boredom is laziness. So we're getting to the root of it. Right, the reason why I make myself not do things is because I don't want to make the effort. And a rabbi say like this, and I'm going to read it out to you. There are two things we need to constantly work on in order to make sure we're not bored. And if we don't, we will be. So this is what they say. Rabban Gamliel, this is the chap second chapter. This is what he said. Rabban Gamliel. The son of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, the great Rabbi Yehuda who wrote the Mishnah. He says like this. The study and knowledge of Torah, hearing words of Torah is beautiful together with work. What work? Work, like job. Because when you work on both, you forget sin. You forget to be wrong. You're so busy with both of those, there's no time for anything else. There's no time to gossip. There's no time to bring people down. There's no time to get angry. It's good to be busy with these two things. One, Torah. I said three, whatever. It's good to be busy with two things. One, Torah. And the second, work. And when you do both, oh, you're not going to be bored. You'll be pre preoccupied all the time with good things. And why do you need both? Well, if you're just working, why am I doing this? What is my purpose of life? What am I here for? Why am I working for somebody day and night? So I say to myself, you know why? Because one day I want to own my own business. And then I own my own business. And then I say to myself, why am I doing this all the time? Right? One day I own my own business. Why am I doing this to myself? But you, know, you, you get what I'm saying. It's, you need both. And we also need work. So we need the study of Torah, which means what we're doing right now, getting together and discussing ideas of life. That's very important. Why? The questions of why. And we need also to work. And that's also important. If I'm working and I'm complaining, that's a mistake. It's a blessing to work. And I want to take you through some of the ideas that our rabbis teach us about working. Don't get me wrong. Our problem is too much work. So I don't really need to promote working. But I want people to believe that the work that they're doing is a godly thing too. Because you're working with the world. And you could change the world. In your work as well. Taking the mundane things of earth and sanctifying them. And making them meaningful. There's meaning to that. Okay. Here. Let me quote for you some of the quotes and sayings that a rabbi said about working so that tomorrow morning when you wake up, you say to yourself, I'm ready to go. I'm fired. Not fired, fired. I'm, I'm, I just realized that. I'm lit with ish, right? I'm ish lit. I'm, I'm, in, I'm empowered to go to work the next day. Here's the first point. Maybe someone's going to say to himself, ah, I belong to a great nation. I'm the son of great fathers and mothers. I come from a great family. I shouldn't be able to work. Why should I lower myself and work in this world? I belong to... What do we tell him? Shoteh. That's foolish. It's a foolish th thought. Because your creator came before you. And what did he do? He did the greatest work of all, which is creating the world. As it says, Nikol Melachto Asher When God finished and made Shabbat, 
He finished all the work that he did. Uh, it's below, below you. Are you greater than God? Who, create, who works too? It's below you to work. You're creating lives if you work in the right places at least. I have, I have someone that told me, I quit my job. I said, why? He says to me, because I'm employed to market this, these websites that are completely inappropriate. I said, well, good for you. You should quit that job. Yeah, there's some things that we could do. There's some works that we do that are not always good for us. That's for sure. We have to make sure we're in a good environment. But this is what he's saying. Thinking that work is for weaker people, they're mistaken. This is the weakness of those that are successful. Those that are successful say, ah, I could sit now and relax. You're not free. Adam Everyone needs to work. And even the creator of the universe works in order to create the world. That's creative work. It's not physical labor, but it's still work. There's many, many statements. I'm going to read you some of them. Here's another one. When Abraham was going in Aram Naharaim, says in the Midrash. By the way, that was written in the Midrash. Here's another Midrash. Bereshit Rabbah. Another Talmudical writing. It says like this. When Abraham was going in Aram Naharaim and Aram Nachor, these different places where he came from, and he saw people, they were drinking, chilling. Right? You think we're, we're new. They're relaxing. So he says, Abraham walks past them and he says, I don't want any part of this. I don't want anything to do with this. As soon as he got to Tzul, some place called Tzul, he saw them working. And working at the time that needs to be worked for threshing or for... Or, for moving their animals or each thing at its right time. And he says, this is the type of land I want to be part of. Being creative. That's the type of place I want to be part of. A place of creativity. It says in the Talmud, love work. This is actually in Avot de Rabbi Natan. Another, another type of, of Pinkei Avot that we're studying. Another book that was written also 2,000 years ago. It says like this, love work. How? A person should love the thing that he does. Don't hate the work that you do. Why? Be just as much as the Torah was given with a covenant, with a promise, which is Shabbat, so too work was given with a promise. How do I know? Because it says, six days you shall work, and on the seventh is Shabbat. Shabbat doesn't happen without the six days of work. So we have six days of work, and then Shabbat which teaches me that you should love the work that you do just as much as you should love Shabbat. It says there were 26 generations before the Torah was given. 26 different generations. And what do our rabbis say from there? A person needs to realize based on this that acting normally in this world comes before Etz HaChayim which is the Torah. Working in this world came before the Torah. Right? Developing in this world came before the Torah. Whatever this means. But we get what this means. We kind of get what this means. Listen to this statement. Great is someone who enjoys his work more than someone who fears Hashem. Because by someone who fears Hashem, it says, happy is someone who fears Hashem. But by someone who benefits from his own work, it says, happy are you. If you work, you eat. You're happy in this world and happy in the world to come. This, by the way, means you have to have both. And that's what we're saying here as well. It's beautiful to have the study of Torah and work. You have some free time? Listen to simpletoremember.com. There's a website called simpletoremember.com. I was totally... Give my fullest recommendation to that little me. We'll give my fullest recommendation to that website called SimpleToRemember.com. You can find some amazing teachings and ideas about Judaism. Some of the questions you have. Some really good questions and answers. Everything and anything about this world is on that. You know, some amazing talks. It's worth it. SimpleToRemember.com. This is what we're saying. 
Because boredom brings problems. At the end, what happens? We waste our time and we cause sin. So now you might ask me, okay, Rabbi, this is all great. So why is it that rabbis are sitting learning Torah all day and not working? Huh? Good question, no? So, first of all, I wanted to... (laughs) Well, first of all, First of all, I want to tell you, I was in a place where um, we were studying Torah. And eventually, at some point, everyone goes into some job, Torah job, right? some kind of Jewish job, but a job within the Torah community. So, for instance, where I studied, one guy learned how to make tefillin, right? They, they cost money, they're expensive. Some, another guy comes a scribe and writes scrolls. Another guy teaches in a school. Another guy gives lessons and comes an expert in marriage counseling because the Torah has so much teachings and so many aspects. I, I personally teach different people that are themselves therapists and teachers to others. There's, there's people that I meet with and they are teaching others and they come to me with their questions. It's interesting because Torah in itself, with the study of Torah, a person can come to the answers to many different thoughts of looking at this world from a philosophical point of view, from a spiritual point of view, from many aspects. And it's a job that eventually is become on them at some point. It's okay to study in school, in college, a foreign... You know, there's, one guy, there's one guy that I know who um, was thinking of going to study in a yeshiva for a year. So he was working, he was in school. He was thinking to go to yeshiva for a year and his parents were like, no, 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 no way. So he came to me, he's like, Rabbi, I wanna go to this yeshiva. I wanna spend some time, learn a bit more Hebrew, know a bit about the language that we speak, you know, learn a bit of the books. I don't know anything. Why we do the things we do. I I don't wanna live this world where I'm just Jewish because, without knowing why. I wanna go and learn. So, he says to me, but my parents are like, no, you're not going. This is ridiculous. So I said to him, tell your parents that you're not, you know, it's fine. You're not going to go to yeshiva to take off for a year. You'll take off for a year to go to some shanty town and do tikkun Olam project for a year in some faraway place. Ask them if that's fine. So he says, okay, I'll ask them. <laughs> And he goes to his parents and he says, Mom, Dad, I want to go to some far, far place and live in this shanty town where, you know, I get an experience of, you know, living with absolute poverty and helping them, giving them resources. I want to do that. What do you think, Mom? That's a brilliant idea. Fantastic. Go and do That's awesome. I, I support that to its fullest. So helping others... Is fine. But helping ourselves spiritually? Oh, no, 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 no. Just be Jewish, but don't know why you're Jewish. It makes no sense. There's, it's okay to study a foreign culture. If I told somebody I'm, taught, I'm studying an ancient culture of a thousand years ago on the, of the Far East, cultures of the Far East. Oh, my son, he's so smart. Studying the cultures of the Far East. And when I study the cultures of the East and West and the whole world, right? Judaism, that was 3,300 years ago. No, no. It's almost like at some point we become shy of ourselves. And we're okay with everybody else's culture. Our culture, no. No, 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 no. That's weird. Well, I've got news for you. There's some beautiful things in our culture. It gives us purpose to life. It's not just that I work. I'll never forget. There was this guy who used to have a falafel cart in Oregon. He was the happiest man I ever met. And he sold falafel. I mean, it was a great place to sell it. Everyone loves falafel and vegan. It was, it was a great place to sell it. But, but he was a little falafel cart making you know, small money. And that was his job. And he did it for years. 
He grew up his entire family in the middle of nowhere with no Jewish community, not much of a community, selling falafel, happiest guy. I was, what? Why? And the answer was simple. He had his Jewish connection in him. He was always listening to different lectures and stories and Torah and values and whilst he worked, but he was filled spiritually also. You can have somebody who has a lowly job in your eyes. It might be in your eyes, a lowly job. And he's so happy. Somebody else, a comedian, famous comedian, and is willing to commit suicide. How can it be? Some people that are the ideal people of all cultures. Of, you know, they're, they're in the movie business, comedy. They're, they're famous actors and they're unhappy. And then you've got a guy that sells in a falafel cart and is happy with his job every day. He made me happy when I saw him. Hey! Every time. It was amazing. Why? It was the mindset. When somebody has both spirituality and physicality, they are able to achieve great happiness. And that's why our rabbis never waste your time. I don't own Netflix. I don't, I don't have a TikTok either. And guess what? I don't even have Instagram. I don't know my login code, <laughs> nor do I have Facebook. I don't know the login code. Uh, ask Shira. You believe what you said? Of course, but you believe what it says on the internet? When you see someone's name, never think that's their real name. Trust me, I fell in that trap. I thought, hey, Dave, that's you, Dave. No, that's my, that's my Instagram name. You know, like some weird surname, you know, like uh, David Nay. I'm like, what, Nay? That sounds like no to me, you know, but it's just a, a shortcut of his real name. Anyway, you know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, at least somehow. Anyway, he says like this, they continue and they say like this, I want to continue and then tell you one or two stories. This rabbi continues, Rabbi Gamliel, and he says, anyone who works with the public, a teacher, a therapist, a doctor, someone, a health worker, someone who builds a home for someone, you work in the public, you're helping other people. It says, When you work with them, say to yourself, it's not for me, it's for God. I'm not doing this just for me. I'm helping Hashem. I'm helping the world. Everything is for the sake of heaven. God doesn't necessarily need me, but I'm helping this world become a better place. That's your mindset that it should be done. Why? Why is it better to think that way? I teach somebody. I'm doing this because it's making the world a better place. Why is it good to teach in that way? You have purpose. Right? Go on, anyone else? Why is it good to teach in that way? I'm not teaching just for the kid. I'm teaching to make this world a better place. I'm here as a teacher to make this world a more meaningful place. By the way, being a teacher is a, a tremendous a tremendous job that's under, underestimated. You're working on a low pay with children, giving them the time of your day, giving them their attention, but you're investing in, in the future. You're planting seeds. A world. I, I, someone this week stood up and said, uh, what was it? It was you, right? It, someone this week said, I want to be thankful for my boxing teacher. Right? Who was it that said that this week? Uh, I, Shannon was it Shannon? Basketball coach. She was. St I want to. What was it? What was his? his... Right, but why? Why were you? Why did you remember him? He just like he like had a big impact on my life, like in in high school. Right, isn't that amazing? I bet he didn't think that when he walked into school that day. You know, like oh, I'm gonna have a big impact on someone's life that in 20 years from now they're gonna sit on a Shabbat table. 10 years from now they're gonna sit on a Shabbat table and they're gonna mention me. That's changing worlds, changing lives, building lives. It's an amazing job. It's underestimated. Anyway, 
But we're not here to talk about what job is good and what's not. But this is what he says. When you work with the public, know that you're doing it for heaven, not for them. Why? Because when you do it just for them, you expect something in return. When you do things for somebody, you expect good in return. Ah, why is he not benefiting me? Why is he not thanking me? Why is he not doing it? Why is he not appreciating me? I helped him. When you do things without agenda driven, just to be good for the world, that's when that child feels it. The people around you feel it. I'm working in real estate, fixing this house, because I want this world to be a more habitable place. So even if that person doesn't thank me, I'm okay. Because I know I'm doing this for the sake of heaven. I don't need his recognition or her recognition. That's a very important idea. And then he says, why should you always work with the right reasons? He says, Know that their merits and their parents is the ones that made them be who they are. I'll never forget, I met this guy on campus and he's Spanish, speaks Spanish. And he says to me, I'm Jewish. I said, really? Where are you from? He says, from Peru. He's from Peru. His mother is, his grandmother is a Holocaust survivor and he's Jewish. He's never done anything. He asked me, do you have a keeper? I want to try on a keeper. So I said, sure, I'll get you one. And then he says to me, I've never prayed. His English was very, very minimal. It was very hard to communicate with him. At some point I was using a, a, a Google Translate. So his grandmother. So he, he uh, told me that I don't know how to pray. I don't, know, I don't know anything about prayer. I'd love to learn something, like something about my Judaism. I said, sure, let's meet sometime. I kid you not, that night I got an email from a friend of mine, Steve Eisenberg. And he says to me, he lives in, he lives in New York. And he says to me, I got a bunch of books in Spanish. I don't need them. Do you need any books in Spanish, Jewish books? That same day, no exaggeration, real story. And not only that, this guy that I met, he also was very into Isaiah. He, he grew up somewhat Christian. His father was Christian. He grew up Christian. So he wanted to know um, some of the things that the Christian community asked, like Isaiah 52, Isaiah 53, like how do you explain that? You know, the Lord, whatever. So yeah, whatever, right? You know, you know the drill. So, um, so the guy, Steve Eisenberg sent me two books. One, Isaiah translated into Spanish and a Siddur translated into Spanish. How crazy is that? An art scroll Siddur. I'm really not exaggerating. This really happened with me. Like with my eyes. It's mind blowing. He got the two books that these, this guy was asking me about. That's what a rabbi say. Know that when you work with the public, there are merits of their parents that come with them. There are merits of their grandparents that sacrificed for their Judaism. And because their great grandparents sacrificed for their Judaism, little miracles will happen. Don't think it's you. It's all coming from the source. It's all coming from Hashem. So when someone starts thinking that, they say, hey, wait, why am I doing this then? Why should I do this? Hashem says, If you do this, if you work with the public and help others, Hashem will make it, even though it's their, it was a miracle and it was because of their parents and grandparents that things happened, I will give you reward as if you did it. It's not you that did it. But you will get reward as if you did it. Anyway, I want to finish off with one last saying and then tell you an amazing story because time is finishing. I mean, for now, for this talk. So they say in Mishnah number four, quickly, just one last rule. They say, be very careful with authority, with the governments. Be careful with them. Because they come close to you for their own sake only. They don't come close to you for you. They're not trying to be your friends for you. They're coming to close to you for themselves. Everyone has their own interest at mind. 
They seem to like you. They seem to be your friends, but it's only at time of their benefit. But they will not stand up for you when you are stuck and you need them help the most. They'll say, sorry, I can't just help you. It's a process. I work for the government. What, What is this? I can't. When you need them, please help me. No, I can't help you. Don't rely on governments to help you. Don't, they, lo- they love you at certain times because you can ha- benefit them. You can give them money. You have money. Right? They can get money off you. But they won't stand up for you when you really need them. Now this is strange. Because in another place it says, pray for the peace of government. It says pray every Shabbat. In, in the Jewish community, every Shabbat, no matter what country we're in, we pray for the peace of that government. Why? Because if not for the peace of the government, everyone will swallow each other alive. If, if, not, if the government wasn't peaceful, we'll all be fighting. This is pray for the peace of government. So what's going on? It's not a contradiction. The fact that governments and there are judges and courts that exist is a good thing. That's very good. But at the same time, don't trust only in them. It's a continuation of what we said before. Yes. Question off. I say question the government. Yeah, you can question them, but also know that you can't just only trust in them too much. It's like Esther and Mordechai. You remember the story of Esther? She was married to the king Achashverosh. She was an evil man, but she was married to him, and yet they were nervous that Haman was going to kill the Jews. And what does Esther say? She says, "Pray three days. All the Jewish people need to fast." I'm going to put on special clothes. I'm going to pray. Why? Because I'm not relying only on the government. The fact that Esther was married to the king was not enough to trust in. We're also going to do spiritual, our spiritual, uh, put in our energies of praying, of knowing that we have to be as good as we can and not relying only on them. Why am I telling you this? There's a story of the Malbim. And I'll finish off with this. In 1809... A great rabbi. He was a rabbi not of his generation. He wrote a commentary on the entire Torah. And it's beyond. His commentary is phenomenal. He lived at the beginning. A big Kabbalist. At the beginning of the 19th century. And he was. He lived in Bucharest. Have you heard of that place? He lived. And he, he was asked to go to Paris. To France. To fight for the Jewish community. He was a genius. A scholar. And he was going to present himself for the Jewish community in France, in Paris. And he was going to travel there. And before he travels, he goes to the king of the country he lives in. And he says to him, please write me a recommendation for when I meet this king in Paris. So that he should help the Jewish people. Please write me a recommendation. He says, of course. The government official writes him a, a, a recommendation. Closes the letter, seals it, and says, take it. You know, when you seal it, you can't open it because it shows if you open it that it came from you. Seals it and says, here, take it. And as the rabbi is traveling to Paris from Bucharest, traveling all this way, he realizes this statement that it says, pray for the peace of government, but don't trust in them because they only look out for themselves. The rabbi didn't open the paper, rips it up into little pieces and throws it on the side. His students that were with him said, oh, now that he ripped it up, he's not going to use the letter of recommendation. Let's see what was in that letter. They pick up the letter. They put the whole thing together again. And in that letter, it says, this man is crazy. Don't rely on him. In fact, send him away and don't help him or his community. Something on those lines. And if he would have gone to the government with that letter, it would have made things much worse. At the end, he went, he stood up for the Jewish community and saved many Jews. But the Malbim was smart enough to realize, I don't need to rely on anyone. That's a saying that we say every day in prayers. We say, Al Don't put your trust in people that are going to help you. Oh, this guy's got loads of money. Let me be his best friend and he's going to help me. That person's really good in the business that I'm looking for. He's going to help me. 
maybe I'm going to try. I'm going to put in my effort to befriend him, but know that he's not the source of the food. He's not the one that's giving me the manna. It's all really coming from Hashem. When I put too much trust in him, I realize that that person's only, at the end of the day, everyone's looking out for themselves. Trust to a certain extent, but realize at some point that I can't put my whole lifeline on that person. Sometimes we rely too much on people and then we don't do the effort ourselves. We're like, okay, that guy's got me. That guy's got me. He's going he's to cover me. And then we don't put the effort in ourselves. That's what it says. Don't put your trust in givers, people that are going to give you something. And humans that at the end of the day don't have hope. Eventually all of us pass on. It says his soul leaves and his body goes back to earth. On that day that the person goes back to earth, all of his earnings are gone. All the things he owned, his cars, his money, his, it goes to someone else. It's not his anymore. It's pointless to be in his hands. So that's why our rabbis say, don't put your trust in anyone fully. Trust people that they can help you, but don't put your fullest trust. Know that at the end of the day, I'm going to do my part too. That's a very important aspect of our survival in this world. And these are the teachings that we've learned uh, for this week. And I hope you enjoyed. And I'm excited to see you in two weeks from now. We are going to have next week a guest speaker speaking. Um, and it should be really interesting. Something to do with dating. He's an expert at dating. And um, that's going to be very, very interesting. He's a, he counsels many, many couples. And... Um, and singles, and it would definitely be worth your while coming. So um, anyway, I'll finish off. Remember two things. One, boredom is dangerous. Enjoy work. Enjoy your job. It gives you meaning. Don't forget to have Torah in your life as well. Listen to the world and understand the way that this world works. And finally, don't trust other people too much. Make... <laughs> the effort yourself and do the work yourself. Don't put your trust too much in other people because everyone has their own interest in mind. Thank you very much for listening. I love you all. Thank you.